You are listening to the Good Shepherd Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Our mission at Good Shepherd is to proclaim the gospel so that all people will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. One of the main ways we believe that we are accomplishing our mission is through the proclaimed word. We believe that the preached word creates and sustains the church. Our desire is to preach Christ crucified for you, which means we hope that Jesus is the substance and hero of every sermon and that Jesus is preached into the places of sin and brokenness into our hearts. We thank you for joining us and hope that you will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. All right, let's see if I've got this PowerPoint working. There we go. All right. The date was October 19th, 2003. The sermon text for the day was from Ezekiel 22, verse 30, which reads, And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. The sermon that morning changed my life because it answered the question as well as a prayer that I had been offering up for several months at that point. But before I get there, I need to offer backstory. I've got to pause and rewind and just share a bit. So this is not going to be a traditional sermon. Uh, It is going to be very topical, in fact, which... I mean, I, I think gathering from conversations, normally you spend time working through passages, passage by passage, books of the Bible. Uh, I am much more comfortable in that lane, and yet the Lord has laid this particular message uh, on my heart to share in churches where we've never been before, to give you a chance to get to know us, but also so that ultimately, Lord willing, when we leave here today, you don't go away walking and thinking, man, Alex, man, yeah, praise the Lord. Yes, praise the Lord, but... Um, that ultimately that's what the focus would be. It would be on the Lord and thinking about what he has done and the grace he's shown us. And you'll, you'll get that in how he's shown me grace, but I pray he'll, you'll walk away thinking the same for yourself. And so I, I'm going to share this message with you that is very much a, uh, a testimony in sermon form. Uh, but the point is for you to see, as I've just prayed, how the Lord has used his word and his people in my life. I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. And my mom has shared the story many times over the course of my life of how she was uh, driving by this little church right near the house that we were living in. And she had this sense that she needed to get herself and her at that time one and a half year old son in church. And so she started going to that church and that became my church for roughly the next 25 years of my life. Pastor Ron or preacher as as I Continue to run into him occasionally nowadays, but uh, I called him preacher, and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so from an early age, I was exposed to the gospel. I was exposed to the truths of God's word that I am a sinner, I am broken, I am a rebel, that I have messed up this relationship for which God created me, and there's nothing that I and myself could do to make that right, and that's why he sent Jesus. And so I publicly professed faith in Christ As a youngster, I don't have a particular date. I think it was a process for me. Uh, But around the age of eight or nine, I made a public profession of faith and got baptized. And like many, uh, I think probably people that grow up in church are exposed to the truths of God's word. John 3.16 stands out to me as as a truth that you, you you can hang your hat on this. It's why it's one of the most popular verses in scripture, because God loved the world so much that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
And so through this truth and truth and many others that I was exposed to, I, I believed that I was a sinner. I believed that God loved me so much that he sent Jesus to die in my place for my sins. But in hindsight, I've come to realize that there was a disconnect. There was a clear misunderstanding about the practical implications of that faith. I remember having a conversation with my brother right after I got baptized and was talking with him and told him that I was a new creation in Christ. And so remembering that, I know that my theology at that point was accurate. And yet again, based on the next decade of my life, I can say there was clearly a disconnect. Middle school was an especially challenging time in my life, uh, largely in part to my due in part to my parents' divorce. I don't blame that. I don't know how much that impacted the, the direction that I took in terms of my walk with God. But I certainly know at that time when I could have been leaning into God's people and into his word, that's not what was happening in my life. Unfortunately, throughout high school and university, I would say, you know, I was one of those backsliding Christians. And I'll explain a minute in a little bit about why I say Christian. I do believe my faith as a child was genuine. But again, there was this backsliding. There was this disconnect. And uh, unfortunately, through high school, uh, where I was spending every other weekend with my dad, uh, and then through college, where I was on campus for a year, any time that I was in church, most often it was because I didn't want to face mom's disappointment look after church of why, you know, why couldn't she come to church with me? I'm not proud of it, but that is my testimony. It's true. Uh, university was a particularly dark time in my life where I wasn't necessarily pursuing the Lord. I had ideas of what I wanted to do in life and what I was pursuing and thinking for the future. But the turning point uh, happened for me toward the end of my time in university. So I was studying business. I was excelling in my program at the University of South Carolina. I was uh, working in the IT department there. I'd learned a lot. I had a great job. I enjoyed I had this idea at the time of going into movie marketing, and then all of a sudden, as I was sharing a couple with a couple of brothers uh, before the service, all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, from my perspective, I began asking questions about God's direction for my life. Um, I don't know if it's the timing here. I've actually had several. Com- I had a conversation with my mom a few weeks ago about this, asking, "Hey, do you remember asking me a question? Like, do you remember something at that time?" That was the catalyst, because I think there must have been a catalyst. Uh, It is very possible that the events of 9-11, that was in my last year at at USC, that 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 thought began to take root in me about the seriousness, the shortness of life, how precious it is. Uh, But at the end of things, it doesn't really matter whether there was a question or not. What I have come to the conclusion of, and this relates to this earlier confession, is that I'm confident that the source of the questions was the Good Shepherd. The good shepherd who knows his sheep and then calls them back. So John 10, verse 14 and 27 and 28, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I had not been, but what we find at the end here is true. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So like the parable of the shepherd who leaves behind the 99 and goes after the one. Yeah, that happens. And guess what? Lord willing, if you've put your faith in Christ, that's your story too. No matter no matter whether you grew up in church or not, that's it. God sent the shepherd after the one. When a job that I was pursuing at the time fell through, I took it as from the Lord. And as, as far as I can remember, looking back to that time, uh, I took it as from the Lord and walked away from this direction that I thought I was going in and never looked back. 
So there I was, a 23-year-old, uh, like many 23-year-olds today, I think, uh, with a college degree, a good education, and no direction whatsoever. Uh, my dad offered me a job to work with him, and I did that for a little while. But shortly after graduating, I do remember my mom saying, you know, it would be good for you to get serious about your faith and get into church. And by God's grace, something stirring had already happened. And so when she said it this time, probably, I don't know how many times before, but probably for the 500th time, I finally heard her got into church. And there as a 23-year-old, I began going to church for the first time in my life, truly for myself. And so I was, I was there Sunday morning and evening in Bible studies, and God began to just stir in my heart. And I found myself very quickly beginning to ask two other questions that were weighing heavily on my mind. And so I got together with my pastor, scheduled a time with him, uh, like I've become very prone to do over the years, seeking counsel. And so I brought those two questions to him. First was, how do I know if God's calling me into his service? How do I know God's will for my life is, is so often a question that we ask. The second I kind of laugh at now in hindsight as somebody that's been in pastoral ministry because as a 23-year-old, uh, but I was in a very small church with nobody else my age, and I was really concerned about how I was going to find a wife. Uh, now if I were to counsel somebody at 23, I would say take your time. Uh, now, I don't remember much about the specifics of the conversation, but I do remember very clearly the passage that he led, led me to because it's, it's played a great deal in my life. He led me to a passage in Genesis 24. Now, a little backstory on that is that Genesis 24 is the longest chapter in Genesis, in part because half of the chapter is recounting everything that happened in the first half. So it's very interesting there. But to set the context of what's happening in this story... We are toward the end of Abraham's story. And Abraham, what we find in the final chapters of his life is Abraham preparing for Isaac's future. Okay? Sarah dies, I think chapter 20, maybe chapter 23. And, and you see everything, at, and I include, go back and, and read this again. And what you'll find is from the point that Sarah dies, everything Abraham does is kind of preparing for the future. We see his trust is in the Lord. His trust is in the promises that God has made. And so he buys a tomb in the land because he believes that's where his people are going to be. He's going to go and send his servant away, chapter 24, to go and find a wife for Isaac. And then in chapter 25, he sends away all the other family members. So Isaac alone is the one that's going to receive the promises. But it's in chapter 24 that we have the story of Abraham's servant, being commissioned by Abraham to go back to his homeland. And it's very significant, again, even that he's doing that. He's got to make sure that Isaac doesn't marry someone in the land, marry a Canaanite, because in doing so, they would have a claim on the promises of that land. But God's promises are for Abraham and his descendants. And so he sends the servant back. The servant goes, if you're familiar with the story, he goes to a well and he starts praying to God. And he looks to God and says, God, will Will, you know, would a woman come out and let me ask for a drink and she'll offer to water my camels also? Would you let that be the one? And Moses writing the story, however many years later, says, as he's finishing praying, up walks Rebecca. Now, I, I mentioned just briefly a minute ago, I'm a movie guy, so I see things in movie terms. So I sort of imagine this playing out with the servant just sort of sitting back like, wait a minute, you're kidding me, right? Like this is actually happening 
Up walks Rebecca. He asks for a drink. She gives it, offers to water the camels, asks a question, finds out, oh, actually, like, this person is is one of Abraham's family members, extended family members, and he's just watching this whole thing play out. And it's in Genesis 24 to 26, chapter 24, verses 26 and 27, that my pastor took me. He said, this is the response of the servant after all of this has played out. And the servant bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, who had not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, Yahweh has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Pastor Ron's advice to me that day was to focus on the way. That was kind of this phrase that he keyed in on. And what he meant by that was focus on doing what I knew the Lord wanted me to do. And so what he meant by that then was focus on meeting with God's people, gathering together, because we know that's what you're supposed to do. Be in the word, okay? Learn to communicate with God. And then in doing so, what's going to happen is I would learn to trust God the way that Abraham's servant had learned. Do you recall uh, numerous times throughout the Old Testament, we have these stories. The one that sticks out in my mind especially is after the people cross over into the promised land, that Joshua tells them, okay, take one person from each of the tribes, and you're going to take a stone, and you're going to build up this memorial. And the purpose is not so much for you, but when generations to come, when your children come and they see this pile of stones, they're going to say, Mom, Dad, What's up with this pile of stones? And you're going to say, this is a reminder because God made a promise and he delivered. And we came across that Jordan and now we're in the promised land. I share that because you'll notice I've named this sermon, this message, Pillars of Grace. And I think about those as these memorials. I think of these as uh, passages in God's word and people that God has used in my life that have become those memorials. So I can... When I think back to this passage, I mean, I can read this story, and, uh, but, but it brings all these memories to mind. And when those memories come to mind, what happens is worship and remembrance that God is faithful. So years later, as a couple of my friends are familiar with, I had the opportunity to preach through this uh, passage, and I summarized the main point of this passage in this way. God sovereignly works in the details to accomplish his will and fulfill his promises. So in the same way that Abraham had looked forward with hope in God's promises and trusted God to work out the details, that's what my pastor was telling me to do. Okay, Trust in the Lord, learn to trust him, be in the word, be with his people, look to him, and watch him work out the details. Now, I, I, I kind of wish I had a date on this, but I mean, I know it was sometime summer of 2003, and I know that because what was amazing to me looking back is it was only a matter of months before I saw not just one, but both of these promises fulfilled, these, these prayers that I was asking. In September, I met a lovely young lady named Bethany, who's sitting in the back there with our very tired three-year-old. And then on October 19th, 2003, Pastor Ron preached a message from Ezekiel 22:30, a message that I referenced earlier, that he entitled, God is Looking for a Man. Now, I think I was, I was in somewhere recently sharing this message, and I've joked, because I've wondered recently, he, he knew that I was asking a question. So it's like, did, was that sneaky? But no, I know, I know better. I know that God uses his word to draw his people. Now, I'll take you very briefly to Ezekiel 22, 
And I'm going to put these verses up here. But just to offer you a little bit of context for Ezekiel 22, Ezekiel 22 contains three judgment oracles. And an oracle would just be a word of the Lord for a group of people. And we find that same phrase used three times in this chapter. The Lord calls on Ezekiel in this case to be a kind of prosecuting attorney, and yet not just prosecuting attorney, but also the one who's going to call out the judgment that is to be um, executed. And unfortunately, in this case, the judgment that's going to be executed is against Israel. This isn't a bad news for others. It is for God's people. And so in the first oracle, we see the word of the Lord coming to Ezekiel in in chapter 22, verses 1 to 16. And what's happening in that passage is the Lord uses graphic language to describe Israel's sinful and idolatrous behavior. They've refused to walk with him. In the second oracle, in verses 17 to 22, the Lord explains that Israel is about to be judged because of their pervasive impurity. And and I'm being careful with language. We have kids in the room. You go back and read the chapter yourself, and you find it's like it's not pretty language. It's actually quite graphic and disturbing. And then in the third oracle, the Lord recounts how the leaders of Israel, and he recounts them. He lists them by name. The prophets, the priests, the elders, and the princes had failed to lead the nation to turn back and obey God. And it's at the end of this passage, that third section, stands the verse that has become another pillar of grace in my life. In Ezekiel 22.30, Ezekiel writes, and I sought for a man, God speaking here, I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. As I mentioned earlier, the passage, the, the sermon that morning had a profound effect on my life. When I left church that morning, I felt confident that I had the answer to the question that I'd been asking. God was calling me to be a man like the one that he was looking for. What's interesting, though, I want to offer a bit of a clarification on the passage, because despite the fact that I've preached for a number of years now, I've never found myself doing a series through Ezekiel. And so in preparing this message, I'm going back and looking at this and realizing while God used this sermon to challenge my heart and life, there's actually another message to the text that I have found to be even more profound. God was looking for a man, but you see the final words. But I found none. God's chosen people had been blessed with the covenants of promise, yet they chose to follow gods that were not gods. They made up these things, and I mean, you get it as well as I do. Uh, We've been in other parts of the world, and you get just the, the, the craziness of making something and then worshiping it. Now, we do the same thing in, very, in, in different forms, but, it, but that I, that's exactly what they were doing. They were making these idols and worshiping them. Uh, Israel's rulers and spiritual leaders failed to step up and lead the people back to God. The Lord explains to Ezekiel that he came searching for someone who would be an intercessor. The same word is used in Psalm 106, 23. He was looking for someone like Moses who would step off on behalf of the people. Remember what happened with Moses, right? God's like, I'm going to strike them down. It's almost like, Moses, get out of the way. I've got to take care of this people, and I'm just going to start over with you. And Moses says, no, God. Like, what would the nations think if you delivered the people out of the land, out of Egypt, only to go and strike them down now? But what we find here is God is looking across the landscape, and he can't find anybody that's willing uh, or even worthy to stand in the breach. And so Ezekiel 22 is actually 
all bad news. In fact, I think really the only good news of Ezekiel 22 is that that's not the end of the story. That's not where it ends. Things keep going on. God's going to keep his promises, just not in the way they necessarily expected. Apart from God's plan of redemption, man would have no hope of escaping his righteous judgment. And so this is all bad news in this chapter, but the story doesn't end there. And the good news is that in the fullness of time, God became the man that he was looking for. We read that God, the the, the word became flesh, John chapter 1. And he became the man who would stand in the breach for his people. The good news is that Jesus came and faced the judgment and punishment that we deserve so that we could be redeemed and made right with the Lord our God. Ezekiel 22 doesn't have that in sight, but it's not the end of the story. Praise the Lord. And so on on Sunday morning, October 19, 2003, the Lord used a passage from Ezekiel 22.30 to awaken my heart to serve him with my life, to be the kind of man that he was looking for, someone who would stand up in the breach on behalf of people who are facing judgment and need to be rescued. But I realize this is going back and looking at the passage in its context. Is you know, I'm not in any way under the delusion that I, I was like, all right, God, I'm here. I've arrived. I can help you out with the thing that you've got to figure out. No, God, in his grace, uh, provided himself as the hero of the story. And we instead just continue to get to be the messengers like Ezekiel. As Isaiah 53, 5 puts it, Speaking of this one who who came to bear our burdens, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So I committed my life to serve the Lord that Sunday morning, but I had no clue what it was going to look like. And I never, I mean really, I don't think I ever in a million years could have imagined how things would play out or the journey that God would take me on. So a couple of years later, again, I met Bethany just a month before all of this happened, but Bethany, I took Bethany on a roller coaster of a relationship. It was all me. I took her on it. She was steady. Um, but by God's grace, she stuck around, and we got married in 2006. And about a year later, the Lord led us to Lansdale, Pennsylvania, uh, where I attended seminary. At the time, as I went into seminary, I'd had a couple of opportunities to preach I felt very comfortable in front of a group. I mean, you probably get, get that as I'm up here. But what I did not get out of those few opportunities was a sense that God was calling me to preach because I did not feel equipped to handle God's word in front of a group of people. But God used the four years in seminary to humble me, to bring me to a place where I recognized it's better to let him lead than fi- think that I've got things figured out. So by the halfway point during our four years in seminary, God was beginning to do a work, and I was very clear, God's calling me into pastoral ministry of some kind. Uh, and then even by our probably our third year, I was beginning to sense maybe God at least open to the, the possibility of missions. And you notice I keep saying I, 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 and that's because really uh, Bethany, I think, is more spiritually mature than I am, and she was kind of always just wherever the Lord leads, this is where we're going to go. The pillar that stands out to me as I think back to our time in seminary is really the whole letter, Paul's whole letter to the Ephesians. Um, But particularly chapters 2 and 4 had a profound impact on my life as I began to understand the grace of God on the one hand that saves us apart from any works that we could offer. But then chapter 4 is I began to understand that disconnect that was there all those years earlier because we are saved by grace alone. But you get to chapter 2 verse 10 and find 
For we are created for good works. We are his workmanship. God has a plan that he's planning to work out through his people. And when you get to chapter 4 through 6, it's all practical. It's all in light of God's grace. This is how we should walk. This is how we should live. We should live out this grace in the midst of people who also need to experience the grace as well. But it is actually in chapter 1, there's a word in there, uh, at least in the ESV translation, that, that just continues. Anytime I'm reading through this, I'll see people mention some of the verses around it, but it's one word in chapter 1 that sticks out most to me. In Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, Paul writes, In him, speaking of the beloved from verse 6, that is, speaking of Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. The word that's translated lavished there means to abound or abundance. And so it is the picture of, uh, if you imagine we, and actually I think of this recently, uh, you know, the, the child that's pouring milk in the cup and you see the, 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 the disaster that's about to happen, right? No, and the milk just keeps pouring all over. That's what God does for us though. We're the cup. And he pours his grace, and it just keeps coming and just keeps coming, and it's flowing over. But that's also part of his plan, because as his grace flows over his people, as these vessels, it pours out onto others. And others begin to be impacted by that grace as well. And more and more people are exposed to the grace of Christ, and God uses that to draw people to himself. So during that time in seminary, I grew in my love, appreciation, and dedication to uh, not only God's word, but also to his people and realizing this is, this is where God plans to work. During my final year of seminary, a, for, a former classmate of mine reached out and asked us to pray about joining them in a team partner ministry in East Asia. Now, to be honest, at the time when he first reached out to me, I didn't think God was calling us to East Asia um, if anything, I thought if God was calling us overseas, it might not look like it, but I'm actually half Indian. My dad's from the country of India, so I thought if God was going to lead us anywhere, it'd probably be there. But God had begun working, and we were open to his leading. And so after I graduated in May of 2011, Bethany and I um, made the decision that we would take this trip. went and spent nine weeks overseas. We spent five weeks in India, four weeks in China. And while we were there, God was doing a work. Um, and, it's, and it was during that time when we were in East Asia that, that God kind of used another passage that I think ultimately led us overseas. In Luke 12, 48, Luke writes, every, speaking of, from Jesus, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. And as I reflected on, for me, what was a just, unbelievable experience in seminary of getting to know uh, not only God's word, not only his people, but building relationships with my professors and families. Uh, I, I just felt like we had been given so much, like so much had been entrusted to us. And now we were kind of living out the parable of the talents. Many talents have been given to us, and so now it's our job to be good stewards, and what better place to do that than in a place that doesn't have access to that kind of rich teaching and instruction. And God used that, that, that mindset, as well as for me, what we've had conversations with many people over the years, just a simple willingness to go 
to open a door that ultimately led us to serving God for eight years in East Asia. Uh, During that time, we led and served in two local churches for foreigners. So where we were was in a a place that dealt with security, and so we had an expat church. Uh, We built relationships with locals and foreigners and looked for opportunities to disciple and educate believers in a variety of settings Uh, We experienced personal loss during that time, but at the same time, God blessed us with two beautiful children, as well as a growing community of friends and believers who are now presently spread all around the world, including a beautiful couple sitting here back in this section, Judd and Trish Richardson. We spent about 30 minutes this afternoon trying to find uh, a great picture of us from back then, but just didn't think about it early enough. Well, in January of 2020... My family, uh, now by that point, a family of four with Caleb at about five months old, made an unplanned trip back to the U.S. for what was supposed to be one month, but God had other plans, uh, which leads to a pillar that God has used, and it's part of the uh, emphasis for why we were talking from First Peter in, our, um, in the series that we were looking at at Northside this week. In 1 Peter 1.1, the Apostle Peter addresses his audience as elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, if you're like me, and if you're grounded in your Old Testament, when you read the word exiles, probably what comes to mind, or you know, this image, again, everything in my mind is the, the movie images, and you, you picture the group of people as slaves being kind of carted off from their land because they're being judged or they've been, been taken over by some foreign enemy. And when you get into 1 Peter, it's very clear from the contents of this letter that is not how he means this word. Instead, the word has the simple meaning of a sojourner, uh, a temporary resident. Or if you live in certain parts of the world, we use the word expat. I think it's a right understanding. Furthermore, these exiles, Peter calls them elect, which has the idea of being selected, chosen. And so Peter, in the very opening verse, addresses this audience in such a way that they would understand that they are chosen by God to be spread out throughout the world for his sovereign purposes. Now, at first glance, if you're facing hardship, you know, there's there's a sense of peace in knowing, okay, God has me here for a purpose, even though I'm struggling. Okay, okay, God, that's that's helpful. Now what? Like, how do we go from here? Well, that's go study First Peter. Uh, it's full of practical instructions of how how we are to live out this life as elect exiles. Well, when we left our home in East Asia at the beginning of 2020, we thought we were leaving for a month, but we've come to realize and accept and even appreciate the fact that God was sovereign. God knew what He was doing, and God intended for that to be the end of our time over there. We wouldn't have chosen to do these things this way, as is often the case with situations that we face in life. And yet the Lord has used this way and little benchmarks, little pillars along the way to kind of show us little glimpses of his grace of what he was doing in in the circumstances of us being outside of the country. When we came to terms with the reality that our time in East Asia was finished, We were back in South Carolina, and we kind of figured, okay, I guess God is calling us to resettle here, and yet we found that God was continuing to stir our heart for overseas work. So March of 2021, I got together with the pastors of the church that we were in in South Carolina and just poured out my heart to them. Again, uh, I am one. If if you take one thing you can take away from this is look to the people around you. 
do community. Uh, God has surrounded you with people that he intends to speak in, to use to speak into your life, and that's been my case. And so I'm at this lunch with these guys. I'm pouring out my heart, trying to figure out what's God doing? How, where's he calling us to go from here? What's he calling us to do? And one of these brothers says, would you go back overseas? And I, and I told him we would, but we wouldn't want to go somewhere where we don't have connection, some kind of like-minded ministry partners. And all of a sudden, I started talking about South Africa at this lunch. So we have several connections from our ministry, um, our ministry team in, or excuse me, the, the, our sending church in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. In fact, one of the daughters of one of those members is here this evening with us. And, and so uh, at that point, you know, I left the lunch that day and I thought, where did that come from? Like, what, where did South Africa come from in this conversation? I went home and I shared it with Bethany, and when I saw that she was on board with this you know, harebrained idea as well, we just started kind of having conversations about it. And then I started to, once again, reach out to the people around me. Is this crazy? Is it crazy as it seems to me? And ultimately, that led to conversations with the folks in South Africa, which ultimately led us to take uh, what turned out to be a three-month exploratory trip last October. During that time, we had the opportunity to get a real sense of what's going on in the work. We got to go as a family and see, do, do, do we as a family fit here? Does, does this ministry, does the work that's going on here, do we fit? Is there a need? Do we help to fill out the team that's working there? And we got to both witness and actively participate by filling in for some ministry partners uh, in, in all the various ministries that are going on there. So we're going to work with what is a toddler church. Uh, it's about three years old, and God is blessing in that ministry. Um, and so we were there, and, and actually uh, we ended up making another trip earlier this year to go and fill in for some of the ministry partners. But God used that trip to confirm in our hearts, this is what he's doing. This is how he's leading. Uh, and it wasn't just us. We saw that affirmation come through the people there and through our ministry partners there. And so that's that's part of, uh, well, that's, that is what brought us to this part of the country. Uh, we are on the tail end of a three-week trip around the Midwest where we've been all over the place. Uh, we've joked that we're calling this our missionary journeys because we've caught up with so many people from our time in East Asia along the way. Um, but also just connections and friends. And so uh, that's what brought us here to Ohio. And then God had other plans for that as well. So we've had a very, very full week of ministry. This is the last stop. And yet it's just been such a joy to be doing this. So we're going around. We're visiting, as, as Hunter mentioned earlier. We're raising support to try to get back to the mission field. Uh, we are excited about what's happening there. We're excited about the team that we're going to work with. At present, so we, we've gone over on two three-month trips on a tourist visa, but our plan at this point is to do everything that we need to do to try to get long-term visas, which includes uh, raising $2,500 a month in monthly support, as well as a, a pretty substantial transition fund. So we're here in part because we're, we're making connections, we're connecting with individuals and churches, looking for partners in ministry. Uh, looking for people who will partner with us in prayer, uh, looking for those that the Lord might raise up if they're in a position to help us financially. But part of why we're here, specifically this church, is because of connection. So uh, I don't remember whether I shared this with Hunter, but uh, to this point, all of the churches that we're getting into, I, you know, to use the old marketing term, we're not cold calling anybody. We're only going where we have connection because we want to have connections in the churches that are investing in us. 
We want to have a relationship. We want to have partnership, which is why I don't just use supporters or donors. We're not looking for a paycheck. We want connection with the people that we're serving. Um, That has served us well over our 10 years on the field so far, as we have a lot of individuals that have supported us, and God um, has, has blessed us in that. But we want a relationship with the people that count us worthy of that stewardship. And so while, you know, I could cold call and try to find 25 25 churches that could support us at $100 a month, we're hoping instead that we'll see the support that we need through people that we're going to have a relationship with. So if you've got questions, I'd love to talk to you after the service. Um, We also put together a website. uh, So we didn't have that in our time in East Asia because of security purposes, but we have that now. So we have prayer cards on a table outside. You can grab one of those if you pray for us. Grab a, um, well, I won't say it now because I've been careful all time about the uh, wristbands. But you can go and see where we were if you grab one of those wristbands uh, and pray for our former place of service. But you can find out more. You can find out about partnering with us through prayer, through financial support, if God would so move. uh, And just sign up for updates about what we're doing along the way. Uh, but that is only part of why we're here, and I really, I really mean this. It's only part of why I believe God led me to go outside of my comfort zone and write a very, very topical message. So earlier this year, as I'm sitting down to write this, and I really believe God was laying this on my heart, uh, a number of times I was stopping and thinking, oh, just like I don't want to be in a church at a time where we're supposed to be in God's word, and I feel like all I'm doing is talking about myself. And yet as I was going through this whole process, what I found God doing is moving me to see how he's used his word and how he's used his people in my life over the years. And so at a minimum through, do, through this whole process, what's happened is I've been encouraged to remember. And as I went through the process, I thought God might use that to encourage others to do the same thing, to stop and think and ask a question like this. What pillars of grace be it scripture passages or verses, individuals, churches, is God calling you to remember? I doubt this comes as a surprise to any of you, but we're living in rather challenging times, right? Uh, The last couple of years have been bizarre, is one word for it, crazy. Um, I, I... I don't know about some. There might be some people that would look at the world today and say things are getting better. I am not one of them. I don't know whether it would be incredibly rude to call them delusional, but I I don't see that things are getting better here. And yet as we come to God's word, we find that's actually expected. God's people are to expect that things are going to be hard. Things are not going to be good but he is going to continue to build his kingdom and the gates of hell can't prevail against it. And so we are given this firm foundation, a foundation that we sang about earlier as we talk about in Christ alone and the sure and steady anchor that holds us firm, helps us that in the midst of everything to come back to what the grace of Christ is and stand firm in it. That's what helps us. If we're built on that, then we can face anything in a world that seems to be changing rapidly and exponentially around us, and we can remain steadfast in our trust. So I could certainly personally go on, and and I could think of other verses that I would add to this list, um, but I have been encouraged to just stop and think about God, how God has used his word and his people in my life. Um, I hope you'll be encouraged to do the same. But I've also, maybe even more importantly, just been encouraged to stop and think about 
um, how God then used, uh, I mean, God used his word to call me to step up and be a man. But then most of all, I've been encouraged to remember the pillar of grace upon whom all these other pillars are pointing to, right? To remember and stop and think about Jesus who came into this world to live the life that we failed to live, to die in our place so that our sins could be forgiven and his righteousness could be transferred to us. And then he rose again so that we would see very certainly that God is going to forgive and restore. And that's where Peter ends his letter. I encourage you to go and look at chapter 5. Um, amid all the chaos and brokenness that exists in this world, Jesus is the pillar of grace that best exemplifies the steadfast love and faithfulness of the Lord toward undeserving sinners like us. And, and I'm going to guess like you, like the road's not always easy, right? Like the pilgrim Christian in John Bunyan's classic, uh, I often take a wrong road and that leads to consequences. And I'm often led astray by the enemy but God is gracious, right? I can also attest to the fact that God is good and he's faithful to correct and he's, he's faithful to send some along to help course correct and bring us back like a good shepherd. And so I just leave you sort of with this question to think about, right? What are the pillars of grace God has used in your life? God is still calling boys and girls and men and women to stand in the breach, but the message is actually different than Ezekiel's day. So in Ezekiel's day, it was all judgment, and in our day, on the one hand, we do need to let people know judgment is coming. Jesus talked about it more than anybody else. Judgment is coming and the world needs to know that. But also, we have another part of the message. God has provided a way that we don't have to face that judgment because Jesus already paid, faced it for us. Jesus took the blame and bore the wrath, so we stand forgiven at the cross, as the hymn says. So I wonder... Uh, again, and some people may listen to this later, but is God calling you to come to him, to repent of your sins and find forgiveness through faith in Jesus? And if so, I, I hope that you'll look to and find hope in the pillar of grace that we see all of these other verses pointing to. And for many of you, I'm guessing you've already put your faith in Christ, but I, I hope you'll walk away and think, yeah, man, God, is, God has used his word and thank him for it. And God has used some individual, and I want to encourage you to go a step beyond just remembering that person. You want to do a really cool work. And if we were all to do this with even just one person, and I, and I'm not, and I did practice what I preached here, but as I thought about Pastor Ron and wrote this message, I forwarded him a copy of it at some point, just so I could say, I just want you to know you've been on my mind. You played a part in where I am standing today. And the fact that I'm walking faithfully in Christ, it's Christ's work first and foremost, but he also used you. Who might God lead you to reach out to and just offer that encouragement? Imagine the encouragement that would happen among God's people if we all, all reached out to just one person to offer thanks and gratitude, and then that happened and, and just extrapolated out. Um, another way we all need to consider and pray about is how we might be a pillar to someone else. It doesn't end there. So God's again, as we think about how God has used someone, how do we then be that someone for somebody else? God is still calling, judgment is still coming. And so people still need someone to stand in the breach. And we have the opportunity to step forward and offer a message of hope. Hope in Christ, hope in the grace that he's given us. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word and for the truths that it presents to us. Lord, we thank you that 
While sometimes we might say that, why didn't you just wipe the slate clean after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? Or why not just wipe out all people through the flood and start over? That you chose not to. And you were good to do so. Lord, it is an amazing thing, this plan that is a mystery to us. And yet what we recognize is that this plan of redemption that you enacted before the foundation of the world, that you did so, so that you would be glorified and we would receive the good of it. But Lord, we live in a world that is full of people who do not believe this truth or perhaps have never even been exposed to this truth, which is true of much of the world. Father, I pray that you would continue to raise up workers. Lord, that you would stir our hearts with the truth of the gospel, that you've made it possible for broken people to be reconciled into a relationship with you by faith in Christ, and that you've done this by your grace alone, that we could never work our way into a relationship with you. Lord, help us to have that message stir us so much, Lord, that the grace begins to pour over and that you would impact the lives of the people around us. Help us to go forward with this message of hope on our lips to a world and a generation that is desperately in need of hope. And help us to do that, Lord, because we will get good from it. We will be encouraged as we watch you work. But ultimately, we get the joy of seeing you use us to glorify yourself. And we ask that you would do that for your name and glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. So what?